Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. This week, we continue with our four-part series on the exploration of sexuality and spiritual companionship. Facilitated by Frederica Helmier, we present to you a series of perspectives from several spiritual directors, pastors, and guides on how they approach sexuality in their roles as spiritual companions. These episodes are offered in conjunction with an upcoming webinar series, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality, which you can learn more about on our website, sdicompanions.org. Support for this podcast comes from SDI's upcoming webinar, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality. In this two-part webinar, we will explore embodied spirituality, sexuality, and the divine erotic as they relate to the practice of A new feature that we're introducing this week is a podcast forum. This is a place where SDI members can be in conversation about topics related to the Encounters podcast. We're very excited about this new benefit, which again is for active members of SDI. You can become a member and join in the conversation by going to our website, sdicompanions.org. Hello, SDI podcast listeners. Frederica Helmier here, Director of Programs and Events at SDI. We've arrived at our fourth and final installment of this series on spiritual companionship and sexuality. And I want to take a moment to share some personal reflections about my conversation with today's guest, Langston Khan. The way that Langston spiritually companions others is as a shamanic practitioner. And if, like me, you didn't know much about shamanism before, you will by the end of this conversation, along with some basic principles of Taoist philosophy. But at the end of our conversation, Langston shared something that I can't stop thinking about. He said, and you'll hear this soon, that from a post-Taoist perspective, our life energy, our sexual energy, is not separate from our purpose in life. And he doesn't so much mean purpose as like a vocational calling, but like our deeper ultimate purpose, like the energy that we have been put on this planet to embody, the purpose that is unique to each one of us and that will only be seen in this lifetime. And he shared that the blueprint for our purpose is held in our life force or sexual energy. So said otherwise, our desires can help point to where our destiny is revealing itself to us next. And Langston invites us all as spiritual companions to enter into conversation with this desire and help those who we companion to do the same. This is not an idea that I had ever encountered before, and it is resonating very deeply as I find myself returning to this periodic check-in that I do with myself about what I am called or invited to do with my precious days here on earth. And I think there's something about these months of quarantine 
and COVID that has invited that conversation in a new way. So I'm full of gratitude to Langston for this insight and for the opportunity to be in conversation with him. I hope that you, listener, get something out of this as well. I'm sure you will. This is a very, very evocative and rich and beautiful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget about our discussion forum on the SDI website where listeners can share comments about this episode and the previous three in this series. Just go to sdicompanions.org and click the members tab in the top right and then select member forums. Finally, we're about two weeks away from the start of a two-part webinar with Karen Ehrlichman called Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic. This is going to be a practice-based training designed for somewhat more experienced or seasoned spiritual companions and guides and coaches and directors. Enjoy. In my practice, my primary way I work as a spiritual companion is as a shamanic practitioner. So I'm working with people both one-on-one to move inward and really examine sort of fear-based beliefs or stories they carry inside of themselves, moments when they made a decision to survive out of fear when they were younger that led to some kind of trauma and helping them to sort of rescue the parts of themselves stuck in those moments of fear and reclaim the aspects of their soul that are sort of trapped in those moments so they can fully bring them into their life. So that's sort of the emotional component of a lot of the work I do using different shamanic tools. Now, I also do more what you might call esoteric shamanic work where I'm going into a deep trance state with a drum, I have a blindfold on, Um, I'm often lying down next to a client and I'm embodying my helping spirits, the sort of energies that work with me to affect healing, which include my ancestors, you know, ancestor helping spirits, which include animal helping spirits, which include spirits, the land and the elements. And then I'm working with those energies to discern what are the true roots of the challenges the client I'm working with is facing currently and how can I help them to affect transformation in their lives with those challenges. And that might include something like soul retrieval, bringing back parts of them that are stuck in moments when it was just too painful to hold on to a part of themselves. They just sort of forged ahead to survive and and abandon that part of themselves. Ancestral healing, healing unresolved ancestral trauma that's been passed down over generations. Removal of intrusive energies or energy body healing. And a lot of other stuff, but those are sort of the main things that often come up in a shamanic healing session. And then a lot of the spiritual companioning work is helping them to integrate what comes up during that type of healing work. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I bring back a soul part that's a missing, it's kind of like when you injure yourself and the rest of your body compensates for that injury. You've learned to live in your life with this hole inside of you and you've adapted and developed survival strategies to avoid touching into that part of yourself. But now that that part of yourself is back, I'm often helping clients to understand what do I need to start doing or stop doing to allow that essential part of me to come fully back online and for me to move that aspect of my authenticity back into my life. In what ways is the work that you do with clients particularly embodied? That's a great question. Yeah, so 
in addition to my one-on-one work with clients, I'm also leading and teaching in community often and in larger groups as well. And I think that's where a lot of the embodiment work comes in, in terms of doing Qigong practices to really work with our energy bodies and strengthen our capacity to be grounded, to have strong, healthy, flexible boundaries, to have heart protection, to be connected to the blessings of the above and you might call the divine. And then also ritual, different types of elemental ritual that we're doing together. And dance is a really important way I work of dropping the mind deeply into the body and allowing the body to guide us to where our energy is wanting to flow in terms of the living process that we are. And moving into states of ecstasy through dance that allow us to become kind of liquid and fluid. And it's much easier in those states to then transform. And additionally, I do also practice some different sexual cultivation techniques as well that I guide people in in very specific environments. It's not something that I would just like, you know, casually weave into all of my teaching, but it's definitely a part of my practice as well, helping people to really reclaim their relationship with their own desire. And through that relationship with their desire, reconnect with their sense of their destiny and their purpose as well. In your experience, Langston, do clients bring this to you? Do they state this as part of their intention or their desire for your work together? Or do you discern that this might be a terrain to maneuver into with them? That's a great question. I think it really depends. It's not something that I'm ever just casually bringing up as part of client work or something that I'm sort of pushing people into generally. A big part of shamanism is not working in a Western allopathic model where you're assuming that just because two people are presenting with the same symptoms, they have the same underlying root problem or challenge that's causing the symptoms. And so we're always asking to really get to the root and to see the true nature of a challenge someone is experiencing in a shamanic practice. And so sometimes when I'm examining an issue that someone has brought to me, what arises is something to do with the relationship with their sexuality. Sometimes they're bringing that to me and then perhaps we might move into some kind of work that involves helping them begin to restore and repair that relationship for themselves. But sometimes it's like, let's say they have a big issue with never being able to hold their boundaries and just feel like they're constantly being drained by others. And as we move into the session, what really becomes clear is there's a way that they completely shut down their relationship with their anger for various reasons. And that also has shut down their access to their passion and their desire. And so as we're working to heal that relationship with their anger and its ability to help us create and repair and restore strong, healthy boundaries and assert our sovereignty, what also might come up in that process, they really need help reconnecting with their passion and their desire. Mm -hmm. And so then I might guide them in some Qigong forms that are particularly having to do with repairing our relationship with eros and our sexual energy, or potentially guiding them in different types of techniques they can do on their own just to start to even sense into that gap between what they sort of think their desires are and what their true longing is telling to them, mm-hmm. how to begin to bridge that. How do you define your own boundaries, Langston, with a client 
or a companion to maintain a healthy working relationship when you get into this territory. So for example, I've been asking a number of the people I've been speaking to on this topic, do you engage in physical touch in your sessions? And there's really quite a spectrum of responses from absolutely not to yes, by all means, with permission and carefully, but that's a really beautiful and meaningful way to be in this space together and to companion someone along the journey. And it leads into, I think, a number of important questions for spiritual companions to ask themselves about what are my own boundaries to ensure that the space here is a safe and a healthy one. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I don't ever tend to use physical touch and especially not sexual physical touch. There might be moments when I'm touching a client with their permission for some kind of blessing that I'm doing with them or cleansing work that I'm doing with them. But in terms of the sexual work, there's never any sexual contact, so to speak, between me and the client. And honestly, currently in my practice, I actually don't do a lot of one-on-one work with clients currently in this type of work. I mean, there's definitely ways we're engaging the relationship with sexuality, but not actually going into the cultivation techniques one-on-one. It's that more would happen in an in-person larger class where there's a sustained period of time that we're going to be together. We can really go slowly and create a really careful context for the work that we're all doing together and strong containers, strong boundaries, and have that additional layer of ritual safety moving into this work. Because sexuality is so shoved into the shadow in so many ways in our culture, I think it's really important that we do tread very carefully and have an added layer of care and respect and caution, even more so than perhaps other types of ritual modalities that I practice. With that said, I'm not at all claiming to know what other people should be doing. I'm just saying currently in my practice, that's how I work. I like that you have been using the word desire. And I wonder if you might dig into that word a little bit more and share a bit about why that's the word or the concept as opposed to say something like pleasure or passion or eroticism or maybe sexual, holistic I don't know. There's a number of words we can toss around and, and I'm really interested in the desire element of the work you do. So to really talk about desire makes you want to talk about some terms that come from post-Taoism, which is a philosophy that was created by Zhen Dao, who's a trans woman Taoist teacher. And she taught me a lot of my practices around sexuality that I engage with. Some of my teachings also come from other traditions that I'm part of, like the Last Mask community. But the philosophy of post-Taoism, I think, is really essential to talk about desire because one of the things that Zhen did in that philosophy was change how traditional Chinese medicine or even classical Chinese medicine often approached what is called sort of these three treasures or three core aspects of human experience and human energy, which are the Jing, the Qi, and the Shen. And so the Jing is our life force energy, it is our sex. It's this place within us where the blueprint of our soul is stored in a sense from a Taoist perspective. 
when our destiny is stored, but it relates literally to our life force energy and our sexuality. And so in a traditional Taoist context, there's talk about an inner alchemy where you work with that quote unquote gross energy of the Jing and refine it into qi in your qi field through practices like qigong or meditation. And then eventually when you have enough qi, you can refine that qi into the shen, which is like the spiritual essence, the divine, the holy. And that sets up this hierarchy where the shen is like this holy thing you should be working to strive to become and be. And the jing, your sexual energy is like gross matter that's just like kind of the lead of the alchemical process that needs to be refined and controlled and precisely directed. And what Zhen did in the philosophy of post-Taoism was say all of those other energies are dependent on the jing, that it's not actually a hierarchy, that qi is the jing experiencing itself in time and circumstance. It's our life force energy and our sexuality moving into the field of expression and where we can move and communicate and engage with others. And then the shen is just when we have so much of our jing, of our life force energy and our sexuality in our field of expression that it becomes super abundant and becomes love in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so there's this sense that when I talk about desire, I'm talking about the jing wanting to come into expression, our life force energy, the essence of who we are telling us, I want to be seen, I want to be known, I want to express myself in the world. And then when we're engaging that relationship, bringing our jing into the chi field and trying to live our life anchored in our life force energy and our center and our sexuality, we can move into these states of deep eros and eroticism, which isn't necessarily always sexual, like my own experiences of what I would call Shen, this abundant experience of generosity and love and spirituality, it's not this image that you might get from some Taoist text of like some monk being in a cave somewhere that's just like so spiritual and so focused and centered and, and so precise in his mind. My experiences of Shen have been in community. It's been after I've been doing intimate, vulnerable ritual and community with people, you know, just on a call with my shamanic community online because of, you know, the social distancing right now. And we had something where we were just sharing our creative gifts. And one person spontaneously was embodying an ancestor helping spirit who was one of their grandmothers. Like just spontaneously realized, hey, I'm wearing an apron. I put on this wig because I thought it was funny. Now suddenly I'm realizing she's coming through me. Mm. And this person in our community just told us this beautiful story of his grandmother and her strength during certain moments in our country that were really difficult. And, and just like the sort of practical down to earth ways, she really embodied strength and warriorship for him in his life. And then another community member who's a black woman, the other one was a queer man, this is a black woman. She was sharing this beautiful song and story of healing she had done between ancestors of hers who were both white slavers and enslaved black people. So feeling her place in that lineage and that connection. And then another person was just singing a song they received from a helping spirit about love to the tune of Hurdy Gurdy Man, you know? And it was just like the sharing of gifts and that growing of our field of eros and connection and intimacy and vulnerability with each other. At the end of the call, we all were crying. We just felt so much love for each other. And that was the experience of Shen. 
in a really visceral, clear way, this connection to the arrows of all of life, the feeling that life is always speaking to us and we are in relationship with each other and not just all of humanity, but all of creation. When I talk about desire, I'm talking about the part of us that wants to help us to move into that. Langston Kahn is a New York City-based shamanic practitioner specializing in emotional clearing and radical transformation. He stands firmly at the crossroads, his practice informed by the Western modality of inner relationship focusing, initiations into traditions of the African diaspora, the contemporary shamanic tradition of the Last Mask Center, and the guidance of his helping spirits and ancestors weaving it all together. Support for this podcast comes from SDI's upcoming webinar, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality. In this two-part webinar, we will explore embodied spirituality, sexuality, and the divine erotic as they relate to the practice of spiritual companionship. Join us for this practice-based training designed for spiritual companions, guides, and directors. Learn more on our website, www.sdicompanions.org. And now here's part two of our conversation. Thank you for introducing these terms. These are new for me and they resonate a lot. I love it when you find new ways to express something that's not novel. It's in fact, it's familiar, but in a new way. I had a conversation with one of our other interviewees, Beverly Dale, about Eros love and how in the Christian tradition that she and I both grew up in, agape love was always understood as the most important and the most perfect and the most sort of divine form of love. And Eros was definitely as far away from God as one can get. It was the kind of love that was dangerous. And so it was interesting to talk to her about the work of reclaiming Eros as a part of the divine as a part of the love that's expressed by the divine, you had a different term. You called it blessings from above. When I sort of casually said that blessings from above energy, what I was referring to is that I think a lot of us have many stories, often ones that involve our sexuality or our gender, that cause us to feel separate from a sense of the divine. And you know, there's a million ways you could define what the divine is, but when you really unpack and, and let dissolve all the human stories, what you get is you know, something as simple as a plant opening up to the sun and just receiving that light or a tree, just the instinct of being covered in bark to be protected. From a shamanic perspective, we learn that things that are really true are true beyond just human experience. And humans tend to put a lot of intellectual stories on experiences so it can help to engage from a shamanic perspective with things like plants and animals and the elements, like what does fire think the divine is? What does water think the divine mm -hmm. is? To unpack all the stories that we've developed that are actually only serving to separate us from engaging with divinity and embodying the divinity that we are. 
And mm-hmm. so from a Taoist perspective, you know, you might talk about divinity as the essence of true yang, in a sense, this essence of the above, of the heavens, of the sky, that carries this sense of generosity, this sense of beneficence, this sense of blessing, protection, and purification, and then engage with the divine as simply opening up to those energies or transmitting those energies in your life. Have you had experience working either one-on-one with someone or in a group where there's been an opportunity to really confront some damaging theology from their past, from their childhood around sex and sexuality? And if so, how did you approach that? Yeah, I've worked with a number of clients, and including myself, that have had different damaging experiences with theology that affected their sexuality. And, you know, it really depends on the person. I don't think there's one way I would work with everyone, because it really depends on where is the actual site of the wounding. It could be in a person's relationship with their sexuality itself. It could be in a relationship with just not feeling safe to even want or desire or not feeling like deserving of receiving connection or love or desire for various reasons. Like there's a lot of different ways you could find someone needing support. And I guess when I think back to specific examples, a lot of times the first step is just to create a sense of rest, of not needing to move into expressive sexuality or even needing to desire with an object, like I want this, because that can actually remind them of the fracture that's been created inside of them and cause greater sort of turmoil. So the first step is often just How do we connect with the energy of desire and longing itself without object and just begin to repair our trust with that energy and repair that energy's trust with us? Because if you think of the Jing as its own energy and its own perspective as a part of us, our Jing can come to distrust us if when we call it into expression, it's coming into a fractured field or an experience that's harmful. But a lot of times when, we, when we've experienced trauma, we sometimes seek out experiences that mirror that trauma, whether consciously or unconsciously, because it helps us to both normalize our experience potentially, but also there's a desire in us to feel the wound that's there so it can come into greater healing. And sometimes that gets directed in kind of a wonky way towards re-traumatizing experiences. And so that over time can cause our own desire not to trust us in addition to us not trusting our desire because it leads us into these situations. And so the first step is really a reconciliation with the energy of our own desire and like a deep state of moving out of the need to bring that desire into the field of expression. Langston, what kind of training did you pursue in order to reach the point where you are now and offering the services you offer? So for me, a big part of my training was from my helping spirits, you know, just certain initiations that I had. And then that led me to a five-year shamanic training with the cycle of transformation led by Christina Pratt. And that training was a lot about how do we become a spiritual adult? How do we, in a culture that fails to tend the gates of birth and initiation into adulthood and eldership and death well, how do we 
become people who can tend those gates at least in our own lives and hopefully eventually help other people tend those gates in their lives and their communities as well. And so that process is really important for me, both for my whole healing journey and also specifically in relationship with my sexuality, because I was a person who, I mean, that, that, that example I was using before of really shutting down your anger and losing access to your passion, that was definitely me. And, I, and then on top of that piled on, you know, internalized racism, internalized homophobia, that I really needed tools to unpack and extricate those harmful poisonous stories from myself so that I could access those vital life force energies again and, and trust my own emotional response and my own erotic response again. And so then the other training, after I completed those five years, and then also I ended up apprenticing to teach those teachings over the next four years, I'm starting to teach those teachings now. I also studied at the Mogadao Institute with Zhen Dao, who I was mentioning. And that was a lot of the deep work of engaging sexuality and what it means to have a healthy erotic relationship with yourself and with others through the lens of post-Taoism and becoming certified as a sexuality teacher in that tradition mm -hmm. as well as a part of my training. What does it mean to be a certified sexuality teacher in that tradition? Yeah, so it's a, it's a tradition with a lot of different components. So in that tradition, what that means is that you are trained in philosophy around sexuality, like a very basic foundation of that philosophy is some of the stuff we were talking about, Jing and Qi and Shen, but then also just how do we approach different aspects of you know, being in healthy relationship, of working with fantasies that are, might arise, sexual fantasies or dreams. How do we healthily engage in an erotic relationship with life when we're not in a sexual relationship? How do we engage with sexual wounding and trauma in a way that allows us to come into greater health and well-being. So that's like a, a portion of the philosophy that we learn. And then also we're learning techniques for engaging that philosophy as well in an embodied way. So there's a form, a Qigong form, that's specifically for bridging from a place of fractured arrows to a he healthy sexuality that, or the sexuality that feels healthy and accessible to someone. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a form for really engaging the height of our sexual energy to nourish and feed all of our sexual organs in our body and sort of build that shen in a sense, that super abundance of, of love really and qi and jing. There's also actual sexual cultivation techniques. So personal massage techniques that help to both tend the health of our sexual organs and also move us into states of ecstasy and pleasure and then internal meditation techniques where we can transmute the sexual energy we're raising in our body to refund our jing and our life force energy and build that energy up rather than just releasing it from our body through orgasm. And that includes different Taoist techniques for things like helping men to move into multiple orgasms without ejaculation or and, and women too as well. And there's also a lot of teachings in the tradition around queerness and transness and just gender and sexuality in general and how we can move into a sexual philosophy that really supports the vast diversity of human experiences around sexuality that exist out there rather than saying there's one good way or right way to do sexuality. So that's a lot of the, the training involves all those different components. And there's also 
an erotogenic yoga practice to help people just open up their whole body to the flow of sexual energy in places where traditionally in our culture, we're kind of socialized to be very constricted and tight, especially in the US in terms of our like hips and our hamstrings and our calves and, and just all the different parts of our body that can get kind of constricted and then make it difficult to move into engagement with our sexuality, with our whole body versus just with our genitals. Wow, what a rich array of modalities of expressions that you have in your toolkit to work with this. Langston, is there a practice, something that you could offer to the listeners of this podcast, regardless of the tradition that they're in, that they might bring into the space with a client, a directee, a companion, that you have found to be accessible and helpful in terms of just exploring one's relationship with their body and with their own sexuality, something folks could walk away with and try out in a session? Well, honestly, what I would suggest versus something just to try out in a session is first just really examining what has your own journey been with sexuality in your own life as a spiritual companion. How has that shown up for you? How is it showing up right now in your life? Do you feel really distant from your sex right now? Do you feel really close to it? When was the last time you just touched yourself all over your body with love and care without another person there? Whether that moves into a sexual feeling, quote unquote, or not, because when was the last time you really connected erotically with the whole of who you are? And what comes up when you think about doing that or actually do that for you in this moment? And I think just starting on some of those examinations are really important because for those of us who do a lot of companioning work, sometimes there can be ways that we allow ourselves to become depleted or almost substitute the eros and connection of caring deeply and connecting intimately on the level of the soul with someone for our own grounded relationship with our physical body. And so I think just really examining that first is really important because if we aren't actively engaged in tending and maintaining the relationship with our own erotic nature, it's very easy when you move into this difficult territory because there's so much wounding around this site in our world right now to accidentally re-wound people in a sense through our own biases that we're not aware of kind of stepping on other people's experiences. And I think to do work around helping people cultivate a relationship with their sexuality just really requires a radical commitment within ourselves to acceptance and love of our own sex and a deep experience. Like that's not just intellectual, but that's a visceral experience of the innate goodness of our desire and our sexuality. So I think that what I might suggest is just that people start out with just that journey of whether it be engaging physical practices, whether it be engaging meditations or, you know, free writing around these topics, just starting to ask, like when I say my desire and my sexuality is innately good, what comes up, you know, I'm just exploring that a bit. Around this topic, one thing that I come back to again and again, that's been really useful for me personally, is this idea that the jing, our life force energy, our sexuality is not something that's separate from what in a shamanic cosmology we would call our purpose. And when I talk about purpose, it's not to be a teacher, to be a spiritual companion. It is 
an energy that we come here to this planet from a shamanic perspective to embody. It's an energy that will only be seen in this lifetime, that is totally unique to us and who we are, that if it is not embodied on the earth, the whole fabric of the universe gets depreciated, slightly less you know, beautiful and intricate. And so from a post-Taoist perspective, the blueprint of that purpose is held within our jing, within our sexuality, within our life force energy. And so our desires are constantly pointing us to where our destiny is wanting to reveal itself next. What vehicles might be the next best places to express that unique energy we are here to embody. And so I want to emphasize that often healing around sexuality does not necessarily have to even involve sex with other people or even with ourselves. that it can really involve coming back into relationship with a sense that life and all of creation is always talking to us, that there's always these whispers from the plants from the animals, from the land where we're on, from our ancestors that are trying to help point us back to that essence of our desire and what we are uniquely here to do. And when we enter into conversation with those forces trying to help guide us through our desire, that that is entering into eros and a possibility of an erotic relationship with all of life. So when even like a celibate, you know, priest or nun, is observing an incredible sunset and just feels overwhelmed by the beauty of God, that's an experience of Shen that we are talking about. That's an experience of your life force and your sexual foundation being alive and experiencing itself in this passionate union with the beauty of the world around you. And that's making love. Literally, your spiritual energy is making love that can be transmitted to others. And so I just encourage anyone engaging with this conversation, this path right now, to really ask themselves, how do I step into deeper intimacy with that relationship? And where currently am I creating a divide or barrier between my sexuality and my desire and what my soul came here to do currently? And how do I dissolve those boundaries? If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. 